Welcome to Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. In today's episode, we're discussing the 1964 movie A Hard Day's Night, starring none other than The Beatles. It's the 50th anniversary of the film's release, and the Criterion Collection recently released a beautifully restored version. We thought now would be a great time to watch it. For this episode, we brought back our friend Evan Mather to weigh in. Evan, welcome back. Hey, Jude. (laughs) (laughs) See? All right, we are rethinking our decision to bring Evan back. Anyway, Hard Day's Night was conceived by the studio United Artists as a way to cash in on the fame of the Beatles. They cared very little for the quality as long as the Beatles were in it and they could sell the soundtrack. The Beatles, to their credit, I think, wanted to make sure that um, that they made a good movie, too. The movie was made for a paltry $500,000 or so, but it was a huge hit. And since then, it's actually been widely lauded, with many critics praising its progressive humor, the sophisticated filmmaking of director Richard Lester, and, of course, its amazing soundtrack, which earned producer George Martin an Oscar nomination for Best Score, but not the Beatles themselves. So, like Nate mentioned, it's considered an important enough film for Criterion to have released it for the first time this month. On this movie, we aren't necessarily coming at it from opposing sides, since neither Evan nor I have seen this movie before. We've been longtime Beatle fans, but for some reason, at least for me, I never really felt the need to see it until I saw that Criterion was releasing it. Ryan had seen it, but up until the last few months was not a Beatles fan. With Evan here as our Yoko, we'll explore whether the Beatles could buy our love, despite their repeated assertion that love isn't a commodity to be bought and sold. I have a feeling we're in for a hard day's night. It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog It's been a hard day's night I should be sleeping like a lamb But when I get home to you I find the things that you do Will make me Uh, Let me tell you, Ryan, I don't know about you, but I can definitely relate with those Beatles now because ever since we've started this podcast, it's been nothing but screaming girls day in, day out. Yeah, I know. The positive to that is since we're running everywhere, I'm in really great shape now. True. Yeah. My, uh, it's, it's the cardio really. Yeah. yeah. Grain of salt. You have to look at the positive, you know, silver lining, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I've just been sitting here reading my newspaper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's your silver lining. <laughs> You're getting all of today's news. Anyways, we are talking about Hard Day's Night in this episode. Um, so that's obviously is going to bring in conversations about the Beatles in general. Yeah. And so um, I don't know. How do we want to start this off? Do we want to just maybe talk about um, – let's talk about – Ryan, you had actually already seen this before we rewatched it for this podcast, whereas me and Evan had actually never seen it until we did this podcast. Right. I, I saw it I- – it was a while ago now. Um, I, I really didn't remember it all that much. Um, but I saw it because of the way people in film criticism had been writing about it. I, I saw it based on its reputation for me as a film. Um, I was never a big Beatles fan for a very long time uh, until I don't even know when this was. A few months ago, I just mm-hmm. put up on Facebook, can somebody explain the Beatles to me? 
because I just didn't get it. I wasn't challenging anybody. I wasn't refusing to like the Beatles. I honestly couldn't find Beatles music that I enjoyed. Um, and then it was actually you two responding to um, me on Facebook and explaining why you guys like the Beatles, what you think is so great about them. And I gave him a, another shot through that lens, and it really helped a lot. Um, Which is actually funny because I would consider that to be almost a near impossible task to be able to sort of intellectually explain why you should like a, a music group or a piece of music. But if any band could do it, it might be the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> also, just the fact that rationality on the internet change somebody's <laughs> mind i i i, I yeah, think let's explain this here <laughs> what no yeah i think a lot of credit goes to me and my <laughs> ability to open my mind to people commenting i think it's very easy to just quickly turn your mind off uh and i was open to it um and i gave Granted, it that you second asked shot for it. i asked for it yeah um but like i said i wasn't just challenging i wasn't trolling i was actually seeking out your comments and i read them and i i i took them to heart and i really made the beatles listenable um nice work thank you <laughs> now nate you you approach music kind of a different way than i do you are really interested in the technical aspects that's not to say you don't appreciate the other aspects but you really pay attention to production and engineering and recording and all and that licks. and licks yeah um, and I'm much more about lyrics and the way songs feel and the way songs are structured to, you know, evoke emotions and that sorts of things. And I think we've done well to sort of open each other's eyes to some bands. But you explained to me how the Beatles were so groundbreaking in everything that they did. It wasn't just that they were uh, catchy and popular at the time and it was right place, right time. They really were groundbreaking and innovative and evan you pointed out how the beatles this same group of four guys in the span of six years which is what's most remarkable basically 64 to 70 in the states was their run mm -hmm. they went from you know can't buy me love twist and shout all the way to you know let it be and you it's, can talk about their whole career and yeah. say like okay they've got you know uh, can't buy me love and she said she said and yesterday and all that but then you've got the same album they've got blackbird and helter skelter mm -hmm. and they neither one of those songs sounds out of place let alone the fact that helter skelter basically was the beatles gift wrapping led zeppelin sound for them <laughs> but like yeah so it took me a while because i think honestly everybody just assumes that you like the beatles everybody assumes we all know the beatles are geniuses let's move on i didn't i mean I hadn't grown up with them. Mm -hmm. I it, it I really did need it to be explained to me. Yeah, and I even just recently saw a little segment about the Beatles on TV. I don't remember what it was, but the way it started was the announcer saying, "Who doesn't love the Beatles?" And then they went on with what they were going to say. You know, it's just, it, yeah. I think you're right. It is kind of a given that it, everyone just loves the Beatles. And it was good for me then to see uh, "Hard Day's Night" again, already liking the Beatles and already having some sort of appreciation because now I was having being a fan of their music and being a, a fan of their abilities as songwriters, as musicians, as just, you know, innovators. Hard Day's Night really is a time capsule for the mania, for mm -hmm. the just the visceral response, the phenomenon that the Beatles were. And this movie really does capture that moment of people just losing their minds over these guys.
Yeah, and maybe we should um, take a moment for, you know, we kind of explained Hard Day's Night in the, the quick intro to this. But, um, well, first of all, if you haven't seen it, we're going to be talking a lot about this movie. And, you know, I don't know if there's really spoilers Yeah, I was going to gonna it, say. But, but it, it's going to make a lot more sense the Beatles if are a rock movie. band. Yeah. They do things a rock band does. <laughs> yeah. Like play I don't, rock music. I yeah. didn't say spoiler alert yet. <laughs> all right, spoiler alert. They play several hit songs on a television program. Okay. I'm At sorry. least you warned everyone. But no, it's, it's but I think it's, it's important to say what this movie is and what it's not. Yeah, and I I was thinking about whether or not we were going to give a spoiler alert at the beginning. There's really nothing to spoil because there's really not a plot. It's genuinely describing the plot, the Beatles spend the day preparing for a television appearance. Yeah, that's true. But I think that at least for me going into this movie not having seen it, I had a certain conception before going in of what I thought the movie was going to be. Mm. You know, maybe I'll just go ahead and, and say what I thought before going into it, because I had not seen this movie before, and I was a big, and still am a very big Beatles fan. Um, my whole, um, everything I knew about Hard Day's Night had to do with whatever clips they would show on TV or whatever, and they, they always showed the Can't Buy Me Love clip mm -hmm. of, like, the is that a helicopter, I'm guessing, yeah. shot, where, where they're just basically running around. It was either that one, where they're basically just running around a field and doing all sorts of weird, like, well, that's the same se sequence. Yeah, and then there's also the sequence, the very beginning, where they're just running, running. through the the train station, mm -hmm. and there's the and through the town, and the girls mm -hmm. are ch and the fans are chasing them all over the place. So, with only those two things in mind going into it, I wasn't really looking forward to watching it because I thought it was just going to be you know an hour to an hour and oh, a half okay. of them just kind of running and gallivanting around with people yeah. screaming at them, and it didn't interest me at all. That's why I don't think I ever really felt the need to watch it. And that's a good point. People would always talk about how great the movie was, but then they couldn't really explain what it was so i was kind of like well this is what i'm going off of is kind of these two scenes uh -huh. they don't really interest me at all so yeah if i get to it i'll get to it but i'm not really in any hurry to watch this movie even though i do love the beatles you know? yeah those were also the only two scenes i'd ever seen but i'd also at least fairly recently seen them talked about in um the documentary series the story of film mm -hmm. oh yeah um and the dissolve the website the dissolve made it their movie of the week is that a few it, months story of film, is that still on netflix yes it, that is, that i don't is, know if it still is that's where it I is saw. great though. it is it it's, is highly recommended yeah if you if anyone who's listening has netflix definitely if you're interested in film you should check out the is mark cousins who does that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. the story of film um it, it's, it's great it's a film class like you can really? save yeah. your money <laughs> But you were saying, Evan, I didn't mean to cut you off. So I was interested in especially that Can't Buy Me Love scene from just a filmmaking standpoint. And honestly, those two scenes that everyone knows are my two favorite scenes of the movie. That's the hmm. Just capturing the emotion of the music without really conveying too much of a narrative. Yeah. It's like, this is fun. Let's put fun on film without don't well, that, worry about a story i think that's the whole movie the whole movie is basically the feeling of a being the beatles or b being a beatles fan at that time and they don't they don't really worry about story very much no it seems almost like a series of gags if anything mm -hmm. kind mm -hmm. of one after another there's a there is a loose story there it, but yeah. you basically said it they're just basically yeah. uh, a, a band getting ready for a tv uh, performance what threw me before seeing it though is i knew that this is uh, that they were playing themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite like a lot of rock movies, like even say like Pink Floyd's The Wall, where mm -hmm. there's just kind of this stand in character. Um, and then they use the music as, as to tell a bigger story or a concept of some sort, you know. So I knew that they were actually playing 
John, Paul, George, and Ringo in this movie, what I guess I didn't know going into it was that they really were playing that part. It was a sort of a caricaturized or written performance of them. It wasn't, yeah. you know, it's not like watching or U2's of Rattle and Hum. It's not like watching U2's Rattle and Hum where no, it's, it's not essentially, a it's not a road doc at right. all, you know. Yeah. And I knew that going into it, but I kind of felt like they were going to be more moments of them, like just being them, you know, in a sort of more documentary feel. Yeah. Although mm-hmm. the, the movie does even, it's that's what's it's interesting that. about it. Is it's got a documentary feel, but it's certainly a script tightly yeah. scripted mm-hmm. movie and that's what what's interesting to me is that the stuff that's documentary feeling is more stuff about the fans um the shots of the girls screaming mm-hmm. during their performance on tv or in the crowds i'm sure they didn't need very much right coaxing and directing <laughs> and like they were asking to see the script they were stiflingly quiet until the applause sign came on yeah <laughs> I, that's that's what felt so energetic and real to me was the 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 fan scenes mm-hmm. um and evan i think uh well i don't think they're my two favorite scenes in the movie i was kind of with nate i had overseen those two scenes the can't buy me love just sped up benny hill monkeys ish mm-hmm. gallivanting um and the running scene but in the movie they're just they're awesome it's yeah. a work it's, it's really one well of, within it's the one movie. of the best openings to a movie yeah because you're in it right away that chord plays and the movie kicks in with the song and yeah. takes no time to get into it. And then the Can't Buy Me Love is just pure fun energy. Like you said, capturing the feeling of the song, of the moment of hearing that song and not thinking too much about it. Right. At the same time, doing some really funny stuff. I think my favorite visual gag in the movie is in that scene when the three of the three jump and they're doing like these big dramatic jumps and then Ringo from far away just hops like six inches and i think what's interesting is that it, that scene actually um it does work within that loose narrative because up until that scene, it's a very claustrophobic feeling. I think that they want that. They want the Beatles. Mm-hmm. They want you to feel like you're the to get an, an insider's look at what it's like to be the Beatles, mm-hmm. being sort of rushed into tight cars, always yeah. being surrounded by people in little studios, always being interviewed, and then they basically sneak out. And then this is their one moment to kind of be free. And mm-hmm. that it's the camera tells that story. I mean, it's all pullback, it's all distance shots, and then it still even has the same. It goes back to the humor in the movie because the punchline in that whole scene is when the guy comes out and says, you're on private property. You can't do this yeah, <laughs> or something yeah. to that effect. Right. So that even for me put that scene in a context where I could I could actually buy it and enjoy it a little bit more than just seeing it completely removed from the movie right. and just seeing these guys run around a field. You know? Yeah. Well, maybe we should, should we pull back then a little bit and actually just talk about um, maybe go around and say, how, how, did you like the movie? Didn't you like it? I mean, we don't actually know how we feel about this movie. We've kind of skipped around that issue. So um, maybe, Ryan, you could go first because you could maybe talk about how you liked it the first time compared to this time. Um, yeah, I when I first saw it, like I said, I was seeing it based on its uh, cinematic merit. And... Um, Seeing it again, I think I gained a better appreciation for it just because I was seeing it again and I was able to recognize what it was doing better rather than um, trying to follow it. I think the first time I tried to follow it too much and was frustrated that it was not really going anywhere. It it, it doesn't go anywhere but to its credit. 
doesn't feel the need. I feel like so many other movies that would be, um, you know, cynically money making, cashing in on fame, would have tried a lot harder to come up with some reason that these people are on film. You know, like right. There's some dance competition. There's some like yeah. thing that the town they have to save. Like some dumb thing. Wrap this movie's like yeah. this movie's basically cards on the table. We're filming these people because you'll pay to see them. <laughs> there's yeah. there's literally no stakes to the movie. Yeah. Like, what are the stakes? Um, uh, and I think that frustrated me uh, at the time, partly because I wasn't a Beatles fan. Like, I wasn't willing to watch them just because they were the Beatles. I wasn't into them. Um, so it was better for me this time being like, yeah, I like the Beatles and I like their songs. And when the songs came on, I wasn't like, Ugh, let's get on with it. The first time I, I think I got some of the humor um, and I really appreciated and enjoyed the, the French New Wave um, influence because mm -hmm. it it's very much. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. yeah. Of that time. And yeah, I didn't mean like, did you guys notice it? I meant like, <laughs> I meant like it does it really well. It doesn't, it doesn't mimic it. It's genuinely using it, using it yeah. well yeah. for the energy, for the claustrophobia you were talking about for the off the cuff stuff. Um, so the first time I saw it, I don't think I was as impressed with it as I was this time. I would say I liked it. I, at the beginning, I, I was afraid that it was getting too silly for me, mm. but with everything in this movie, you have to, you have to go with it and you get it, it, it and it clicks with you or it doesn't it, early on the, the scene on the train with the world war, with the veteran, the army veteran, and the, hey, mister, can we have our ball back? Hey, mister, can we have our ball back? <laughs> mister, good ball, mister, keep going. We have our ball back. Hey, mister, But then another thing that I loved about it is that we see one of the visual gags, which the gag would be they're carrying him across. Right. And we don't see it executed the way... It's supposed to be funny. We just mm -hmm. see them doing it. And that was something that really impressed me about the oh, movie. Oh, you mean like it time. didn't show this the view of the guy in the right. seat? They we show don't see him going by the, the window. We the see aisle. the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. We're with them. We're with We're them. playing a prank on this guy. Yeah. And they do that throughout the movie. When they film the TV performance, it isn't conventional. It's not showing the Beatles performing and then showing... You know, like the camera shots, essentially assuming we all know what a Beatles performance on TV will look like. So it shows the TV control room. Mm -hmm. There's one shot that I loved of it's just this really slow dolly that starts behind John and then just keeps going behind Ringo and then ends up behind the other two. Hmm. And it's slow. It's not necessarily artfully framed conventionally, but it's showing us the side of the Beatles you don't see. In that case, they're backsides. But like in general, I like that the movie is so um, it, it's so subversive in what you expect to see from a rock and roll movie, from a cash cow movie. Yeah, um, it took risks. Well, it's it's a movie that's selling the Beatles. That's about selling so, the Beatles. Right. <laughs> like right. so many shots, like you're talking about but of the control room, of seeing them on the monitors. Yeah. Instead of showing them, you're showing them on two different monitors and how they're choosing right. how and to portray the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. They're showing that it's that what you're seeing is controlled by older yeah. people, people trendsetters. Yeah. And the thing is it doesn't get up its own ass with that. It's not like 
you know, so heavy handed corporate because, and I think a lot of that is the Beatles attitude throughout the movie that they roll with it. Right. Annoyed by it. But if they can run around outside for a while, yeah. all right, then I'll sit in this guy's dumb meeting where he's trying to sell me shirts that are ugly. Right. Or get me to sell shirts that are ugly. Yeah. Right. right. Isn't that? I think yeah, that, that's yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. You're trying to get him to be a spokesperson. Anyway, if you don't cooperate, you won't meet Susan. And who's this Susan when she's at home? Only Susan Canty, our resident teenager. You'll have to love her. She's your symbol. Oh, you mean that posh bird who gets everything wrong? I beg your pardon. Oh, yeah, the lads frequently sit round the television and watch her for a giggle. In fact, once we all sat down and wrote these letters saying how gear she was and all that rubbish. She's a trendsetter. It's her profession. She's a drag, a well-known drag. We turn the sound down on her and say rude things. Get him out of here. Have I said something you missed? Get him out of here. That scene is funny, and it's quick, and it's... Everything moves. Um, Super grody. Grody, very yeah. grody, yeah. Um, so I, just this time, I really enjoy this movie a lot. Um, and I do think that having a better appreciation for the Beatles helped with that. But I also think that the movie can stand up on its own. You just don't have to be a Beatles making, fan to like this Filmmaking-wise, it's fantastic. Yeah. Evan, how'd you feel about the movie? I, uh, like I'd sort of mentioned before, I knew about it as being an important film. Um as I mentioned, I, there's a lot of things I liked about it. Um, I had a really good time watching it. I still, th I, I think that it is basically it's, it's a one direction movie or it's a Justin Bieber movie, but it's made with the best musician that could possibly be made with and the best director that it could be made with, but it's still a boy band movie. But it, um... It's good. I liked it, but it's have a boy you seen band movie. Have you seen the One Direction movie or the Justin Bieber Not the Bieber whole movie? thing, no. Okay. But no, those I've, are just concert films with some behind-the-scenes documentary. I mean, I would call right? those road docs, right? I mean, those are yeah. basically... In the Katy Perry movie, you'd probably put in that, that camp Or maybe well. the monkeys. I, it's, it's, it was still just, hey, come watch these, these heartthrobs that you're into and you like their music, and they'll do some goofy stuff. That's... that's it was... I think that, yeah, I think you're exactly explaining yeah, what the movie you are, is. Yeah. But, I, I, but I, don't I don't know if you guys are picking up on the stunned silences of me and Nate, because I think we're both really <laughs> they're, confused they're by what your point dropped. is. I liked it. I liked it. It just didn't blow me away. And maybe it's that it's been oversold to me as like, oh my God, this yeah. is amazing. And I understand the importance of especially the scenes that we've talked about. That's interesting. But the movie as a whole, I thought it was a lot of fun. I've... I feel like you're like I, me with the Beatles music a while ago, where maybe I do need to see it that second time. Like maybe I, I, I feel like one of the things I had against the Beatles, and it wasn't just elitism or reactionary, was its um, ubiquitous popularity that everybody loved it, and I wasn't sure why everybody loved it. I feel like you're saying that the fact that it's pop, a pop movie, mm -hmm. is detrimental. I don't think it's detrimental. I just think it's it's a commodity, right? And it's a pretty darn well-made commodity. But you're saying it never you don't feel like it really ever rises above that to something It doesn't else. Ri rise above it. It's just about the best boy band market. So you're saying that there is a, a ceiling on the quality of a movie like this. At least for me because watching film is such a personal experience. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, let, actually, that's a really good question that I actually wanted to raise because what I thought was, um, and, and, and we'll get to what I felt, thought about the movie, but 
I think you're bringing up something I don't want to necessarily move away from. Sure. And this is the idea of when we watch something that we know is made for really not a whole lot more than just to sell products, in this case, an album um, or a soundtrack or songs or a band. And I actually was simultaneously watching because both of these movies came in for me from the library at the same time. I was watching the Lego movie this Mm -hmm. week, which is another movie, which I think is is very similar in a lot of ways that you would never think to put them together. But these are both movies that were completely from the ground up designed to sell you something, whether it was the Beatles or to sell you Legos. Um, and, and to play on adults' nostalgia with Legos, just like it felt built-in market with people who like the Beatles, right? But and I don't, you know, we're we're not going to talk about the Lego Movie necessarily in this podcast. Maybe that's a different episode. But I do think it was pretty universally praised as a good movie on its own as the Lego Movie, and I think it really did surpass a lot of critics and audiences' expectations. Um, of what it was going to be because it really did feel like they were just going to cash in on this thing, get a bunch of celebrity voices to come in and um, let's sell a lot of Legos. It's kind of the same thing with the Beatles movie. It was never really uh, hidden that that was the intention all along. This is United Artists that wants to put this movie together. It's put together by a producer, uh, Walter Shenson. Um, And they basically just, they didn't even know if the Beatles could act until they actually showed up and read the script. The script had already been written before they yeah. even knew and they, if they, the Beatles yeah. could act. And they were kind of like, oh, well, that's a bonus. They actually can <laughs> act decent, you know? Yeah. So They wrote um, the script planning on them not being able yeah, to. So yeah. the scenes were short and quick and snappy dialogue. Right. And so, but okay, so I don't want to digress too far because what I really want to say is I think you're bringing up a good point is when, when we know something's made with that sole purpose in mind, um, I get what you're saying that there there's going to be a hesitation to accept it with open arms, a cynicism. Yeah, going into it. Um but I think if if the movie doesn't condescend to you, um and the movie is made and it knows its audience and it respects its audience even though it is trying to sell them a product, but it's still saying something smart or at least in the case of Hard Day's Night being incredibly entertaining, well shot, well crafted. Um do we do you need something more or can that just be enough i no, guess I, I mean I, how did, did you see the lego movie I'm, I'm, we don't talk i have about not lego. seen okay. lego movie yeah, and i'm, I'm really too. excited to see the lego movie it's yeah. it's been on my pretty high on my list but i also think that i have more of a personal connection with the beatles than i do with legos i mean i played with legos as a kid but it wasn't like i know there are some people that just they have a, a lego brick as their heart <laughs> um <and laughs> sure I, i'm not that person i like i like a lego but well, that's I like your the problem. More, Legos are better in multiples. If you're just go. playing with a Lego. Yeah, that might be it. It was pretty boring. Try it again. Yeah. Try it again with one or two. <laughs> Turn it over. Give it a shot. Again. We'll yeah. check Maybe back with you it. next time yeah. you're in here and see how that Lego. let you know going. how Legos yeah. is going. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think that the best movies that can do that right, uh, and I don't think there's many, it might, it might actually just be the Lego movie in Hard Day's Night for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> but Call us with your other, uh, I, other yeah, commodity actually, movies. That would be that great. Are, Email us with any other movies that are basically cash cows that are meant that to are do nothing. Really good. That are actually really good. But um, the, in both cases, I think the product is nothing more than just a skin that's worn. Mm-hmm to tell a better, deeper story or to be uh, more, to, to offer an entertainment value that has nothing to do with the product at all. I feel know? like it is so appropriate this, that this movie is a Beatles movie because the Beatles did this exact same thing mm-hmm. with their music. 
it's accessible. It's it's what people want to hear. It's what's going to sell. It's what did sell. And it was still progressive and high, high, high quality, highest quality, unmatchable quality. Um, I think this movie is that good, that it is, it, it's been redone and it's been watered down. The monkeys aped it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man, wow. is that funny. <laughs> the the Camp I May Love sequence is essentially like the, a monkey's opening credits yeah. scene. Like, um, although talking about the monkey's movie head would be interesting in comparison to this because it was another way the Beatles were trying or the monkeys were trying to outdo the Beatles by being, you know, so have you not seen their movie head? I have not. I, have, no. I haven't seen it either. Oh, it's insane. It's That's insane. next week guys. Good insane or uh, it's really hard insane. to say. Okay. Um, yeah. Jack Nicholson was like a writer and a producer on it. It starts, <laughs> oh, wow. it starts with the monkeys committing suicide. It's crazy. Okay. At one point they play dandruff. It's like <laughs> so when it's called head, it's about just being on someone's head. Part of the movie, yeah. Nice. It's also about never how got it's to like the, a head trip. They never got to the sequel and shoulders. <laughs> right, that was a real seller. <laughs> uh, it was a synergy. It was just with, designed to with, sell shampoo, shampoo products. Yeah, it was. It was a, the long con, but nobody watched head, so they couldn't make and shoulders. Um, but anyway, this movie, uh, sort of like a lot of the Beatles' music. The genius of it may not be so readily apparent in light of what has come after it, in in light of British comedy. It, it was pretty cutting edge mm-hmm. with what British comedy was doing, mm-hmm. um, not just with the absurdist stuff, but with the wordplay. I love that scene where the woman stops John Lennon and says, are you? And he says, no, I'm not. And they just have that long conversation mm-hmm. about how he looks just like him, but he's not him and all that stuff. Yeah. And where that scene goes is so funny and so smart. And the wordplay and just the quick jokes and also how it references movies that are like it, but not as good. Like on the train when they're in the back part and John Lennon says something like, hey guys, I've got an idea. What if we did the show here? And then they just play the music while yeah. they're playing oh, yeah, the on the train, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think, I, I can see what you're saying, that there, there's a, a cynicism that can very easily creep in with this movie so clearly in its um, inception being a commercial so clearly wanting to just say like, hey, you dumb kids will pay for stuff that the Beatles are in. Let's make a movie and get you into the theater. But I think that the Beatles elevated it. They elevated pop music. They elevated the commercial movie. And I think that it's okay to allow them to do that because they almost, although it was making money for the people who wanted to make money, they, they took it into their own hands. That there, I shared it uh, earlier today on the uh, website. There was a little short video you could watch of it's just like three minutes long of them talking about in their own voices deciding to do Hard Day's Night, and they talked about how they had been approached several times to do movies, but that they either read the script or were pitched the idea, and it was basically exactly what we've they come to know work. as the commercial rock mm-hmm. movie, which is they they just want to show the Beatles, uh, have them play some songs, maybe even be more of like a background to something else, um, and they they really didn't want to make a movie until they felt like they could make a movie that would actually that they would want to sit and watch not being the Beatles yeah. you know and and I think it wasn't until um they got paired up with with Richard Lester that that happened and Who I they mean, had admired for a long time yeah because he had been in British comedy although he's an American he'd been in British comedy for a long time okay so so cards on the table I I also really do love this movie um so I, if it hasn't been completely obvious up until now um but what I think I did really like about it um was the fact that it wasn't it wasn't just the Beatles. It was just as much Richard Lester, the filmmaker. I think, and Alan Owen, the screenwriter. Yeah, because I think um, 
In fact, I think that was probably more of a practical choice than anything because I think that they really and I I had watched a little bit of the supplemental features on the Criterion. They didn't know if the Beatles could act at all. They didn't know if the Beatles would be able to pull off. They would even have any camera charm, which is like pretty pretty much oozing from them once you see it. So it's like that's probably another reason why it really is an elevated movie as far as quality goes. But they had to basically before they even brought the Beatles on board have a good script with good jokes, written out good gags. And they had to basically have someone who would know how to frame and pull comedy out of the camera just in case the Beatles couldn't deliver it with the dialogue, Mm -hmm. you know? And again, that's so appropriate that it's the Beatles because they're very collaborative with their producer. I mean, Mm -hmm. he doesn't get as much credit more widely. Yeah. Yeah. But they could not do what they did without him. This movie couldn't have been made without Richard Lester and Alan Owen and the Beatles willingness to con- to give control to people that they trusted. And some things I really appreciate about the movie are, uh, number one, is that they chose to do a comedy. Yep. You know, and not a lot of... Uh, they didn't take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. That's what I really love about this movie. So many movies that came after it, it's just like... It's almost... It, it was laughable because you see it in Spinal Tap. Yeah. There's just so many of these... They're so earnest. Yes, and they just want to show you how, um, how hardworking of artists they are and how dedicated they are to their craft. No mm-hmm. one's going to question that with the Beatles, yeah. but they didn't feel like they needed to show you that. They yeah. felt like they could just make a movie that was funny. And it's not and, like their reputation had been cemented at this point. They were like 23. Yeah, they were really young when this came out. Right, and they had they had already the they were kind of I, I they were think big in they England. were yeah they were big in England, but they had either just done the Ed Sullivan show or they were actually they were in the middle about of filming, to. and so mm-hmm. they really hadn't made that jump across the pond that we you know that's basically the reason we are such this fans and at this Ed point. Sullivan were the biggest introductions to the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. So I just appreciate and I appreciate the style of humor because I think it works. It's it's very mm-hmm. British, but it works for them because they're British. But <laughs> but Wait, I guess the you, Beatles? you I guess you would call they would probably like the, the Brits would call it maybe cheeky humor. We would kind of call yeah. it being a smart ass. Yeah. But <laughs> but it's got that that's it has a soft sort of countercultural vibe, I think, oh, just yeah. from that. Well, I think there's definite um and I I think this is the second time I'll bring them up, definite Marx Brothers vibes. Oh yeah. And I think yeah. there's a complete homage to them when john pulls out the scissors yeah and starts snipping the tape that's and and they each just like the marx brothers all four of them have a sort of distinct personality and role that they're mm-hmm. playing yeah that was sort of defined by this movie uh-huh. that like you know john's the smart ass that george is the kind of quiet one paul's the sensible and, one and, and richard lester the and they even give each one of them Ringo's their own the screen Zeppo. time on their own yeah. to kind of bring that out yeah you know mm-hmm. and i really appreciate that yeah and in fact i think that's probably what eventually made the beatles um rise to a level i think above a lot of pop groups and i i don't know if i go as far as to say a hard day's night made the beatles the beatles i don't think i could say that but i think it's part of it because there are countless pop bands out there that know how to write a perfect, pristine, great, short pop song with amazing melodies that are like earworms that get stuck in your head. So while the Beatles were amazing at it and they did it countless times and they have a huge, astounding catalog of music that does that, I think that what really makes the Beatles the Beatles is we know each individual Mm -hmm. Beatle. And Hard Day's Night was really the first time that everyone got to know each Beatle. Yeah, Um, And I mean... Even the Beatle who probably gets the least credit, Ringo, he's one of the most charming. Yeah. In that movie, he's like the character that I probably connect yeah, with you, the most. And really, really he gets really the most. Yeah. He gets the most of a storyline of anyone in that. I'd yeah. say before that movie, they were just the Beatles. After that movie, I think 
you could everyone yeah. could name every single beetle and you know you know it was whether every bit of it was intended or not it was a genius pr move to make this one of the first things americans were introduced to because you gave them all those individual identities and um you put so much extra interest into the band and it's uh you know cynical you could say like you you forced girls to pick which one do you like the you know the smart ass mm -hmm. do you like the cute one do you like the quiet one do you kind of care for the outsider like right. that sort of thing <laughs> like um I, but on top of that it depicted them as really accessible just carefree and funny guys mm -hmm. like guys that if they stopped running you would really want to hang out with mm -hmm. they made it look like it was a blast to be in the beatles yeah. and um but that they also saw through all the bullshit too. Right. I mean, they had yeah. both going for them. Yep. You know, they had the whole press conference is brilliant. You really get a sense that like That's these guys. That's an amazing scene. Tell me, uh, how did you find America? Turn left to Greenland. Has success changed your life? Yes. I'd like to keep Britain tidy. Are you a mod or a rocker? Um, no, I'm a mocker. <laughs> no, actually, we're just good friends. Do you think these haircuts have come to stay? Well, this one has, you know, stuck on good and proper now. <laughs> Frankly nice. Uh, what would you call that uh, hairstyle you're wearing? Arthur. No, actually, we're just good friends. You're the brown, aren't they? What do you call that collar? Oh, uh, a collar. Oh, do you often see your father? No, actually, we're just good friends. You know, they're kind of aloof, and they're kind of just being, um, like, you know, smart asses, but... You know, they're you understand it to people. You but understand like, they're still lovable, and this is this has got to get tiring to yeah. get asked these sort of mundane questions over and over and over again. You again, know. the movie showed so much restraint because there isn't any individual bad guy. Hmm. The bad guy is just generally maybe the adult, grandpa adult control. Yeah, but he's a bad guy for a different reason. No, I know, I was, yeah, because he's not. He's sort of the extreme. It's it's almost like saying, "Listen, we're not here to shake." everything up just for the sake of it because we're not cool with that because that's mm -hmm. what this guy does and he's a mixer and we're not good that's that's not what we want he's very clean but that's not what we want we also don't want you to control us and tell us what's where we can be where what we're going to wear mm -hmm. what we can't but there's no one face to it and there's never any lasting animosity or unresolved they don't put like a corporate face to anybody that there's just a generality. They they don't get specific with anything. And I think that's a real credit to the movie as well. Another reason it works really well. You know, I will say though, back to what you were saying, Evan, I do see kind of where you're coming from because there was a moment when I was watching that movie. It was at the end. I swear, John Lennon with his haircut, he did the Bieber hair flip while he was playing. And I was like, Yeah. And you got the screaming girls. And I'm like, these guys we're a lot more like Justin Bieber than we're probably comfortable with. Oh, it's uh, someone much smarter than me said this, that basically from the Beatles on, teenage girls love floppy hair and androgyny. Mm. And that's all it takes to become a teen heartthrob. That's it. Floppy <laughs> well, hair, that's what's, androgyny. That was a question I had. Is, is that what they were responding to? And is it with the Beatles that quality went out the window as far as appeal goes? what you're basing pop appeal on did people realize that when did they realize how did they realize that the music doesn't matter and the image is all that matters you mean because it's not with beatles. the beatles right it can't be with the beatles why who looked at the beatles or what happened with the beatles that people said 
you know what? We can actually make money without them being. I'm I'm sure it goes be, before the Beatles, but what happened? Because these girls are screaming, and I'm and I'm looking at it, and because of the music, it moves me. I'm like, that's awesome that these people are so in love with this band because yeah. they're awesome. Mm-hmm. And I see girls flip out over One Direction. I'm like, get your head on straight. You're an idiot. Yeah. And why? <laughs> where did that happen? You know, it's well, sort of that I saw the birth of the monster here. That like, yeah, maybe they maybe they hit it with the Beatles, okay? But then you don't they see did it with the monkeys. Pure in that? Then they did it with Bay City Rollers and David Cassidy. Marky and, Mark and the Funky Bunch. Yeah, moving on to New Kids in the Block. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get the whole boy band craze after that. But I think it was going on even before the Beatles. I mean, you had Elvis making movies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there was a huge craze for Elvis as well. And, and Elvis Valley. never really made any good movies. You know, if True. anything, that's an example of what the Beatles were trying to avoid was yeah. to do yeah. something like that. Um, yeah, there was precedent. There was precedent. I think I know what you're saying. Like, at what point? So maybe did, it's not the, at what point the monster. Did, maybe it's the exception that proves that this is the one time. But I don't think Elvis was garbage. Just his movies. His movies, yeah. But he was, he had, was that was cashing in. Something. He was just yeah. cashing in and selling himself. So maybe it started before the Beatles and the Beatles were a, an anomaly. Here's what I think might be a distinguishing line, though, is the Beatles still wrote all their own songs. Yeah, that's true. And Elvis, while he might have ripped off <laughs> a lot of African-American musicians, um, he, he still had some songwriting credibility. Yeah. You know, you do get to a point, though, I don't know, I, I, I'm not as good of a music historian here, but I don't, there's gotta be a point where the, the industry decided, you know what, we're better off if we just hire people to write this music and and then find some faces that can do this. And then we don't have to put the, we don't have to have that sort of nervous feeling of whether the band can actually produce a follow-up because it doesn't matter if they can produce a follow-up. We'll pay someone to do it for them, you know? And that, and then after a while it was just let's find faces we don't even need to find people who can exactly. do it <laughs> have you yeah. seen wonder it makes me so mad have you seen one direction perform live i have yeah it is the most boring thing you've ever seen in your life because they don't do anything maybe one of them will play a guitar but they don't even dance they they literally just walk around can't do anything yeah at least if they dance. walk around we're lucky it I, I don't know why it infuriates me so much i guess i do know why because it is as blatant as you can be just being like listen give us your money (laughs) look at their hair give us your money one direction actually refers to the flow of money from consumer (laughs) to (laughs) to industry that's true yeah it's it's just devolved so much is there ever going to be talent in that well, I think, realm again. I think the reason it works so well with the Beatles at this time is there's some good looking dudes. When the ugly one in your group is Ringo, yeah, well, he's pretty ugly. He's, no, Ringo's got a slightly funny looking nose. He's a he's a good looking dude. There were there were he's a pretty good well, looking dude. From but an, then from when angles, you could also right. go with like the Kinks or the Rolling Stones, like those are some funky looking. Yeah, but, but Paul McCartney, I totally understand why he was a hot oh, yeah. yeah. All of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get, I get, all, I get, but I get Paul. Oh, yeah. I get Paul. Oh, I, I get George. I, I would, <laughs> honestly, I'd do all four of them. I don't, I don't even care. Uh, it sounds like you're a Ringo man. I, I like Ringo. No, you know what? I'd probably, I'm probably a George guy too. Really? Yeah. But you'll have so. to fight me for him. All right. Wait, I might be switching to George now. There what? might be enough, uh, Come George on. to go around. There isn't. But I think that, okay, so you take Ringo and, and the part that they give him as kind of that outsider. Yeah. Um, they kind of pick on him a lot in the movie. 
the grandpa mm-hmm. especially yeah. yeah calling books rubbish by the way so yeah. i don't know what that was supposed to be saying but i felt like um bringing in that french new wave thing that especially came through when he did his what the grandpa referred to as parading yeah, um, yes, parading, yeah. <laughs> but him just going around and the black and white photography and, and, yeah. and cinematography of that whole scene yeah. is, is beautiful it reminded it me of something that i would have seen on like the latest season of louis you know <laughs> um like just this it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the movie other than to kind of do a little bit of character sort development of like an elegiac you know? tone poem mm-hmm. sort of thing yeah what really it just astonishes me is they did this whole movie without even having a title so it, right. it, it wasn't called Hard Day's yeah. Night. The The producer was like, okay, this movie's wrapping up soon. We need to come up with a title. And then it was a separate conversation where John Lennon was talking about Ringo and how he, um, a lot of times when it was late in the studio or if he was tired or really stressed out, he would just say things that didn't make sense. Or he was trying to make a point, but he would just throw words together and jumbly. And yeah. after yeah. a long night in the studio, he would say, it was a hard day's night. <laughs> and then yeah. the producer was like, that's the title of your movie. And they didn't like it. And they, yeah, but... What then drives what what then drives me up the wall as a songwriter? Yeah, I know. Is the fact that he basically said, "Okay, you got to write a song for the movie," and the next day they just drop into him. Here's "Hard Day's Night." I mean, he they didn't drop it to him, but he heard he them it playing written. it on. They had the lyrics written on like a matchbook, and and it was had, sort of a contest. Yeah, yeah well, John, like, yeah, John and Paul were like, like "All right, uh, we, write we can a do song. it first. Yeah. I'm gonna do it." And yeah, one sitting in the night. They both come out with a song, and John's is the one that makes it. And it's yeah. a great song. I it's mean, that's probably my favorite song in the movie. Yeah, um, it's, easily. Yeah, I don't. There's something about it that's just great. It, I mean, it's it's got the verse has this chord progression where I think it's this flat seven that they throw in there, and it's done with George's Rickenbacker guitar tone, that jangly kind of tone. Yeah, it just kind of throws you off just a little bit. It's it's well, a the basic, opening chord that is too, like yeah. a G seven with like a suspended ninth and something else in there and a fourth something like that it's it's just this really uneasy chord mm-hmm. that could if they let it ring for much longer it could you could be like ooh, it's a little unsettling yeah but then yeah the the fact that the beatles threw stuff like that into pop songs is yeah. one of the things that just makes me in awe yeah i i saw um wilco play at the metro a year or two ago and it was jeff tweedy's son's birthday and he said, uh, for your birthday, we got you the first chord from from Hard Day's Night. <laughs> like, ready? One, two, three. <laughs> oh, we didn't we didn't quite get it. We didn't quite get it. They did it one more time. They were like, Happy birthday. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. Because that that's maybe the most famous single chord yeah. in rock and roll. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you, as a as a longtime Beatles fan. One thing Hard Day's Night did do is help me see, because um, I've always been a much bigger Beatles fan of sort of, I kind of think they got good when they started doing drugs, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> like, Revolver and... Yeah. Rub- they, rubber rubber soul solos on. Rubber yeah. solos where I kind of mark my, sort of the genesis of what I consider to be like my favorite Beatles stuff. Rubber Soul was a year later. Yeah, that's what's... Right? A- after what, Hard Day's Night? Yeah. 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 It's like so, the next year. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, what... Hard Day's Night, though, really, I think what it does, though, is it helps, uh, because it is such a time capsule, it helps to see Beatles, the Beatles in that stage of their yeah. career before they got to be who we know them as, like the cover of Abbey Road, where they're basically look like, uh, you know... Um, before they got ponderous big, and... Yes, yeah. One could more say mystical and, yeah. yeah, but whatever, yeah. Which I, I buy into At all that. Yeah, that's great. Maybe their you know. heads did start to drift slightly. 
their up ass. Their body. <laughs> Possibly. But, but they yeah. pulled out of their ass some amazing music. They did. They did. Well, yeah, well, they were they were actually they, doing something while they were they up there. Had, <laughs> they had so many just melodies sitting around that we were actually having having a bit of a debate earlier about the value of Abbey Road. You're you're it, not as big a fan, Ryan. Yeah. But, um but that whole final like time with it. medley is just like, oh, you got these Cast song off. pieces lying around. And it could be a whole other album. Like each right. of them could be individual songs, and that's just a whole other album. Yeah, eh, it's just. But they were, we're feeling lazy. We're probably gonna break up soon, <laughs> so let's just mush them together. Yeah, but uh, you're right, Nate. The the movie. Getting back to that, because there is a movie we're discussing. <laughs> um, yeah, it. It's. I think it's a really important piece of history. You know, to be pretentious. Speaking of getting up one's own ass. Uh, <laughs> It's I, important for the archives. It is. It is. Um, <laughs> but I, I really do think because it can get so lost that there was a time where these guys were young and new and fresh yeah. and just flat out exciting, not geniuses yet, mm-hmm. not considered geniuses yet. Right. And the movie captures that so well. That's why I buy into the screaming fan thing because it makes sense to me now. Before it probably started to really weigh on them. I get a feeling when you're watching this that the, the, the whole, you know, screaming fans constantly completely losing all of your privacy, that that hasn't really taken quite the toll yet in Hard Day's Night mm-hmm. that it probably would eventually on right. them. You or know? even does today. Or even, yeah. But there's the, back to the Can't Buy Me Love sequence, um, you get a sense of that. Because mm-hmm. as they break out under the fire escape, Ringo says, "We're free or we're out." Right. Yeah. It is. It's. It's. Um. It's still there. I think it really still is. But I did find it odd though that you have that opening scene. What is? It's. It's a fun scene, but there. It's fun because they're having fun with it, mm-hmm. and I don't know yeah. that you'd see them having so much fun with it post Beatles. You know, right. like when it's just. I feel like you, you know, could replace that music. With like maybe something from the Omen, and it's like oh, <laughs> oh man, those there's a oh, screaming man. mass of teenagers right. that are going to eat these guys. Yeah. Now it seems like we've kind of been talking about the Beatles themselves and their music as much, if not more, than we talked about the, the, the movie. movie itself. Yeah. Um, let's talk about our poll. Um, you got it up there. Yeah, we thought it would be fun to kind of do a different type of poll this time, where we weren't necessarily having you talk about a film or um, you know saying what your favorite was or whether you liked something or didn't like it. We thought we'd take the concept of musicians making movies about themselves or with their own music. And we threw it out there with just throwing a random spread of artists, which uh, musical acts you would most like to see make their own movie that features their own music. Um, You know, so something like this would be like purple rain or, the wall or hard days night. Um, but we threw out a couple artists that didn't have that. The ones that we, uh, haven't done that yet. So the ones that we threw out were, um, in, um, alphabetical order, uh, arcade fire, Beyonce, Nick cave, Janelle Monet, Tom Waits, Kanye West, Jack white, or the Wu-Tang clan. And, um, so uh, do we want to talk about what we voted for first, or should I just go over the results? Um, yeah, go over the results. Okay. So the spread was pretty thin on this, as far as we got. We got a some good reviews. Yeah, but there's a lot of choices. So um, we only had one of these that had no vote whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, that was Kanye West. That's 
I was thinking I'm surprised about that. to buy that actually. Well, I am and I'm not. I don't want to spend two hours with Kanye <laughs> yeah. once. Jeez, no kidding. I do. I. I. He doesn't seem like one of the most likely to do that, though. I, yeah, maybe I do, and I don't want to see Kanye West's movie about himself. I, I want to see that. I want it to happen. I want it. I want it. I, I I think I want it to get made, and I think I want to peek at it. But I also think that if he was using his songs and being fairly literal, it would be pornographic. You're probably right. He did make a short film for My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. It, it was is. online only. I watched it. It was. I mean, I can't even hardly remember what was in it. There were some boats in it, I'm pretty sure. Now, here's but. what gives me hope for a Kanye West <laughs> movie is that in the past, he's had, he let Zach Galifianakis direct a music video and gave him complete control. So it's basically Zach and Will Oldham out on Will, on Zach's farm in North Carolina, like playing around with machinery. Like, it's a pretty awesome video. And I also know somebody from my high school who did puppeteering on the champion video. So in his music videos, he's made some choices that I would that would lead me to think that he might get the right people involved. But I also think it would be a pornographic, egotistical mess. That oh, I wish I'd voted for Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's Kanye West. So yeah. not, not a lot of interest. In no that. votes, so, Kanye. Yeah. So um, if any music st- or movie studios are, are, are looking for demographics and yeah. looking for uh, statistics. Our market research. Yeah. Our market Kanye research is not yeah. the one yeah. you want. Um, we did have, um, we had one vote uh, for Beyonce. Oh, really? Um, that could be interesting. I don't know. That doesn't interest me Maybe. in the slightest. Not at, at all. all. Um, I... No offense to whoever did vote. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, fine, yeah. I don't know. We there's maybe, something... maybe somebody needs to explain Beyonce to me. Yeah, like you guys same here. Because I, to me, I don't know what the appeal, appeal is. Actually, I think her songs are fine. Yeah, you know, they they don't bug me. Yeah, there's definitely worse. She's pop really music out there. Yeah, you know? I, I'm I'm not bothered by her the way I am One Direction. We had um, quite a few tied. Uh, yeah. So let's go. I'll just run down a list of all of these artists tied for what we would like to see a, a movie made with their music. And uh, so we got uh, tied Nick Cave, Janelle Monae, Tom Waits, Jack White, and mm-hmm. the Wu Tang Clan. Huh. I voted for Tom Waits. Did you? Yeah. I want to see those Tin Pan Alley. Like he, <laughs> oh, his yeah. songs are stories. They're basically yeah. scripts themselves. I want to see, you know, John leaving Waukegan at the slamming of a door. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I I didn't vote for Tom Waits, but I I, I would definitely go see that movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that would be a fun. Did you vote for one I, of those? I, see, I was the I one think, who told Nate, you. To did po- you did you vote for Nick Cave? I did vote for Nick. Oh, yeah, Nick I think Cave. so. We voted the same way. Yeah, we voted. Oh, okay. The same see, way. for me, it was between Nick Cave and Tom and, Waits. And for me, it's the same reason that you voted probably for for Tom Waits is. Not even that, like, I'm not even sure if that's the musician I like the most from that list. He's right. near the top. Right. Uh, that but wasn't the I question. I want to see yeah, that movie. The, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, Nick Cave. Uh, you know, he, it, I was on the he, fence between Nick Tom Cave Waits has and already Nick shown Cave. us that he can put together a He's got good cinematic movie. chops. I mean, he doesn't, uh, you know, he, aside from, like, the little performance so he did we, in Assassination of Jesse James, but the screenwriting he did yeah, for, for the proposition. proposition yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to a degree, Lawless. I mean, it yeah, wasn't a bad movie. I didn't see that. It had its... Nick Cave isms. I know that works see, pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. I would love to see Nick Cave adapt his own music into a movie and play his character. That's yeah. what I want to see. Yeah. Nick Cave, the, the, the Nick Cave. Well, yeah. we also know that Tom Waits can play. Yeah, he's yeah. an actor too. That's too. why I was really and on the fence. We know Wu Tang Clan can direct and act. That's why I wanted you to put them. Yeah, in the you, poll, that was your suggestion. Even though I didn't yeah. vote for him, but RZA made a movie. They've been in several movies. Jim Jarmusch 
Mm -hmm. They used them in coffee and cigarettes. They were in the Dave Chappelle show or Chappelle show. Um, they, I would like to see Wu Tang Clan make their kung fu rap movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd see it. Jack White, I I love Jack White, but I'm not really interested, even I, though he's been in movies too. Do you think if he made a movie with himself in it as him, I think there'd be a real danger that he would kind of give away some of his mystery. Maybe G he's maybe been give away a, lot, a little too much. Oh, yeah. Since he went solo, he's been talking a lot, and his his mystery yeah i guess part of what appealed to me about him is his mystery and the more i hear him talk the more i'm it's like getting stripped away hey maybe <laughs> back it maybe off a not. little bit hey why don't you why don't you stop talking again <laughs> you know and then the other one that was mentioned is janelle monet and i would love to see that that's another movie. one I mean, that, she also tells stories her her albums the arc android as a movie albums, would, yeah. would probably be great um yeah. you know and she is someone who definitely can do it all this was a tough poll. It was. Truth be told. Yeah. So let's talk about the winner, though. Oh. If you haven't been able to deduce that. Do some the, math. The, yeah. Think it through. Yeah. Think it through. Process of Illumination, we've got Arcade Fire. Number Bingo. one. Yeah. Number one is the Arcade Fire. Um, and a little surprising. I, not Me surprising. Too. I'm very surprised. Not surprising in the sense that I think there's a lot of people who, and, and myself included, who listen to this podcast who are fans of Arcade yeah. Fire, mm -hmm. and I could I see it because they do tend to do pretty conceptual songs and conceptual albums. Yeah, but, you know, to but them in a movie, I don't know. Well, I, don't I think they would be like closer yeah. to like Pink Floyd's The Wall. Probably oh, thinking, would be. Yeah. Too. Well, they made a pretty long film for both Reflector and The Suburbs. I saw The Suburbs one. And it was good. It was good, mainly because Spike Jonze yeah, directed. Yeah, he directed. It. But. I, I feel like uh, I do not love their personas. I, I feel like they would be very pretentious very quickly. Although they also have cinematic, you know, experience with uh, her. her. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's not necessarily filmmaking. But, but they did do those short films and, yeah. you know, uh, and they seem to be fans of yeah. film. Yes, they do. Um, so they would probably have. It would be it would be interesting. It would be something to see. It it would be like Hard Day's Night if they picked the right people. Although and I can't trusted see them, them being very funny. No, all right. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't I, be. I I don't want to see Arcade Fire in Hard Day's Night. Uh, the, uh, that could be pretty f horribly funny. Yeah. Um. But I'm saying it would be like Hard Day's Night if they were willing to give control to, say, Spike Jones or uh, and then had a right. writer write something for them that they could do some pretty great stuff with and it. Like, so in some of these choices, it's like you could, you would definitely want the artists to play themselves. Yeah. Nick Cage, Janelle Monet, Tom Waits. It wouldn't be the same if it wasn't them. Right. But in others, we kind of would see it as this would be good to use their music and have them come up with the concept and the idea. Yeah. But maybe Pink Floyd this a little bit and, and have it be something a little bit more detached from them personally. All right. Now you just made Arcade Fire sound a little sweeter. That's what I do. I make everything a little sweeter. Me too. So, that's anyways, why we, that's we, why we call you sugar. <laughs> that's right. Are we calling him that now? <laughs> yeah. When he's around, <laughs> that's Mister Sugar to you. Anyways, oh my gosh. So, so, you know, we gave pretty limited choices here. Obviously, there are other oh, music yeah. artists yeah. out there in the world, and so we want to hear from you guys. That's the poll that we gave. Arcade yeah. Fire was the winner, and we kind of shared what our thoughts were, but um, this is definitely where we want to open it, open it up and also bring in Hard Day's Night and 
definitely give us your thoughts if you've seen Hard Day's Night or um, have thoughts even about the Beatles in general. Yeah. Um, we want to hear everything from you guys. We've been, we've been really enjoying mm-hmm. uh, interacting with you in the comments section on our website. Be sure to follow us on, on Twitter and like us on, on Facebook so that yeah. we can uh, so that you can can interact with us there as well. Um, and email us feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. We do have a phone number, though, if you'd like to give us a call sometime and let us know what you're thinking with your vocal cords. Um, yeah. You can leave us a message. Call us at 847-306-9532. Um, you know, anything Beatles, anything Hard Day's Night, what's your favorite Beatles song? We didn't even talk about that. but Oh, no. Um, so for next time, we are kind of doing a throwback classic Can We Still Be Friends for our 10th yeah. episode, a throwback throwdown. Uh, it is our 10th episode next time, right? Um, yeah, I think it is. Hey, milestone, ladies wow. and gentlemen. Um, so we're going to do a classic Ryan versus Nate. Uh, sort of a summer blockbuster, more of a, a fun summer movie. We are going to be discussing, Your interpretation, not as mine. far as I'm concerned, it's a fun summer movie. It's one of my favorite well, it, I don't know about my favorite movies, but it's by one of my favorite directors. We're doing Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, if you haven't seen it, please do. Um, go to the library, check it out. I don't think it's streaming. I don't think it's on Netflix. Yeah, check out your local library. I'm sure they should have it. Um, check it out. If you have seen it, rewatch it. I certainly will be enjoying my rewatch. Nate may be dreading his. Um, but yeah. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is our next movie. I look forward to discussing it with you, Nate. Yeah, so for the next episode, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Ryan Ebling vs. Nate Goss. And, uh, yeah. It'll be an epic battle. It will be. Thanks for listening. Yeah, Evan, man. thanks for coming out uh, once thanks again. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Evan. Thanks a lot for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.